Good evening, posers. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jen. And we are your Unstable Moms. And it's been a hot minute since we've had anything to put out. Kids are killing me. I'm on like 10 hours of sleep from the whole weekend. Oh, (laughs) I was like, well, 10 hours is pretty good. And when you split it up over two days, I had six hours last night. Well, I guess this morning, since I didn't go to bed till like 2.30. Yeah. And then four hours Friday night. It was not enough. Yeah, well, we had a game in Bastrop, and then they didn't even perform for halftime, and then we were still home super late. Well, that sucks, so you just went for nothing. Well, they left after halftime, and then they were going to perform, but then they didn't because they had a competition, and the director was like, don't. We need to save your lips for performing tomorrow. <laughs> well, obviously that worked out because they made state. They did. First time since 1983. Wow. And that's really good. first time since they've been a 5A school. That's pretty good then. I know. And it was also Grace's first time marching the show in front of an audience because she was on JV and then got bumped up to varsity. And then she learned the show, but then they didn't run it this week because the competition so her first ever run through was at a competition to qualify wow. for state. But <laughs> she was super nervous. Yeah. Well, they did the semifinals and then they made it to finals. And then at the finals, like I could see some disappointment on her face on the field. And then we were feeding everybody and she looked really upset. And I was like, are you okay? She was like, no. And I was like, uh-oh. So uh-oh. I sent John to investigate. She said she just like was out of tune and then she missed some notes. And so she was like, you know, I just messed it all up. And if we don't go to state, then, you know, I was like, Grace, it's not all one person is not the deciding factor. You guys did amazing. This was like, even your director said this was like one of the best run throughs. It'll be okay. And then they went back in and I told John, I was like, they better advance because if they don't, She's going to blame herself for the rest of her life. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank God they did. I know. I was like, God, it's going to be so hard if they don't advance because she's going to blame herself. But they right. did. They made top four. But at the Bastrop game, we stomped them. It was like 81 to 31. Oh, they should have just taken a knee. <laughs> <laughs> Well, when we when we left, it was like forty eight thirty one, and so we obviously had to leave because we had to go get her from the school. And but you remember Nicole? Yeah, her son is on their varsity team. He's a senior, Mm -hmm. and so we had chatted a few weeks ago about like, hey, we need to at least say hi. And then I texted her good luck at the beginning, and she sent it to me. And I looked at John, and I was like, we're not going to need up. (laughs) <laughs> and he started I mean, laughing and then they like one of their players intercepted one of our passes and ran it in for a touchdown like it was nothing mm-hmm. and then I was like well we gotta let him get one in and then they <laughs> did like uh I forget what it's called where they go to kick the ball like um it's obviously the kickoff but you know how sometimes they kick it way across the field and other times they do a short one because then if mm-hmm. they pick it up they can run it yeah. Well, they did that, and our guy picked it up and ran it right in. It was like 10 oh. seconds. And I was like, oh, okay, you got one in. Let me show you this. Watch how cool this is. <laughs> right. Let me show you how it's done. Yeah. So we, I went and said hi to Nicole on our way out, and she was like – I said, you'll have to let me know how the game ends. She's like, hopefully we pick it up. And I was like, you're not going to. She's like, we better fucking win. She's like, oh, sorry. Because <laughs> there was like a cop right there and kids. And I was like, now you see where I get it. Now you see yeah. a potty mouth. <laughs> yeah. So it was fun though. But I'm That's tired. Good. Yeah. And this weather doesn't help. Not at all. I know. Just makes you want to be warm and cozy. I am warm and cozy. We I made an executive <laughs> decision about soccer today that it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, didn't y'all not go last week too? <laughs> we had to go to the pumpkin patch. I've got to fit it in somehow. But yeah. Next week is the last week, so we'll be there, and then we're done. Unless our football team keeps going, which I think they will. Because I think we're number two right now, so we have to beat one more, and then we're number one in the state. 
Oh, wow. Maybe we should get started. Yeah. And this is a Halloween one. So it's your birthday story, Jennifer. It's spooky. Happy birthday. Even though it's still like two days away, <laughs> by the time everybody's hearing this, it's your actual birthday. Yes. You will Happy birthday actually to me. be 38? Seven. 37? Mm-hmm. I forget we're the same age for a couple of months. For some reason, <laughs> I think it's like right when, I don't know, my brain. The math ain't mathin'. Is that 10 hours? 37. You know, it's been like twice this week where people are like, how old are you? And I was like, I have a 14-year-old. I'm 36. And they're like, no way. I thought you were like 28. Thank you. But <laughs> oh, no. That's really nice. Well, so I went to the... 14. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Um, I went to the liquor store to get stuff to make shots for Halloween. Mm-hmm. And the guy was like, you're over 21? I was like, well, over 21. <laughs> and he was like, well, take it as a compliment. You know, I had to ask if you have an ID or if I needed to check it. I was like, bro, you don't see all these gray hairs right here? <laughs> right. He was like, you don't have any grays. And I was like, you're not looking close enough. Look at all this. Right. And he was like, no, you look young. And I was like, I'm 36, help me. I could probably be your mom. <laughs> well, if you had him young. Well, if he was 18, I could have yeah. gotten pregnant at 18. And then I have an 18-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. True. See? You don't, you don't put it in perspective like that. Nope. All right. So anyway, this story, like I said, is Halloween inspired in uh, the spirit of spooky season. And it's about the O'Brien family. Have you ever heard about the O'Brien family? I don't think so. Okay. Well, let me adjust this microphone. You're about to learn. I don't know if I have any fun facts in this one. Hmm. Shame on you. Maybe you can look some up. A fun fact about Halloween. About the day of your birth. Fun fact Halloween edition. All right, but listen at the same time. Okay. And sorry, I sound like a man. That's all right. Well, it's funny. This morning I was like feeding the cats and I said something and Wyatt goes, Dad. And I was like, dude, I already told you your dad's at work today. He had to go into work on a Sunday. He goes, no, I just heard his voice. And I was like, that is your mother. <laughs> it is me. <laughs> I sound like a man today. Okay. So the O'Brien family was uh, from Deer Park, Texas, which I think is by Pasadena. Yes, near Pasadena. Is it? South. It's like. Yep, there it is. Pasadena, Deer oh. Park. It's in the East Houston Metroplex. Houston. Yes. Close to Baytown, Houston. The San Jacinto Museum. <laughs> Pearl Land. These are the fun facts. These are the fun facts of Texas. Anyway, so they're in Deer Park, Texas. Um, and Ronald Clark O'Brien is the father of the family. And he was born on October 19th of 1944 in Houston. I guess I should have put those two together. Because <laughs> he's nearby? I mean, you can be born in Houston and live anywhere, though. It's true. It's true. But not me. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm close to Austin, but not oh, in no. Austin. Stop. Stop. Who's calling you? No one was calling me. It was an ad on this. Oh, I was going to say, I didn't fact. think anybody would be calling you. Does anybody even really like you? <laughs> no. <laughs> I kid. We I love know. you, Jennifer. Anyway. Yeah, so he was married to, I think her name is Danine, Danine, D-A-Y-N-E-N-E. I've never heard that one before. Danini. Um, <laughs> I don't huh? know. I said Danini. Danine? I don't know. Anyway. Um, and they were to, and together they had two children. Uh, a son named Timothy and a younger daughter whose name was Elizabeth. Um, and his parents were William O'Brien and Elise O'Brien, and then, um, Brian and Danine were described as a typical middle-class suburban family. So, and this story takes place in the seventies, like 74, um, just to, uh, paint the whole picture. Yeah. Bob Ross here. Um, 
So <laughs> Ronald spent his free time as a deacon in the church and sang in the church choir. And he even ran the local bus program. I'm not sure if it was for the church or for a good old Deer Park, but bus program. Mm-hmm. And one of his pastors even described him as a good Christian man and an above average father. Remember that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Ronald worked at Texas State Optical as an optician. Oh, I go there. uh, Huh? I said I go there. You go there? Do you? So, yeah. I mean, not that one, obviously, but well, obviously, you're not in Deer Park, (laughs) right? Um. But in the 70s, he made a pretty decent salary. It was about $150 a week, which in today's money is $940 a week. So not That's terrible. Good. Not you a livable can't. wage in 2023, but. No, you can. Survivable, maybe. Sweet. Don't have kids. Yeah. And don't get sick. Ever. Welcome to the U.S. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. And so I'm assuming that his wife was stay-at-home parent. Um, I wasn't able to find, like, work history on her. Um, but it was very fairly common in the 60s and 70s. So we're going to say she was a homemaker. And then, so about two weeks before Halloween, 1974, Ronald rushes home super excited to show Timothy and Elizabeth the Halloween costumes he had bought for them. And he was super eager to take them out trick-or-treating. So he made plans with his friend Jimmy to go to dinner with their family so their families could have dinner together. And then their kids would go out trick-or-treating together after dinner. So then on the evening of Halloween, Ronald and his family drove over to Jimmy's house for dinner. And they were all enjoying their time together. And the kids were eager to go out with the dads. I guess the moms were staying back and go trick-or-treating. But just as they were finishing at dinner, the weather took a turn and it began to drizzle. So for anybody not familiar with Texas, it was almost 90 degrees yesterday, maybe a little (laughs) higher. Um, And today it's like 40 degrees. We hit our high at about midnight last night, this morning, last night, either way, middle of the night, we hit our high. So yeah, isn't the term if you don't like the weather in Texas, wait a few minutes. Mm -hmm. It will change. It'll be 80 by the end of the week again. So it will change. (sighs) Yeah. They still planned on going out for trick-or-treating as we are on Tuesday. And we're still handing cold. out shots and booze. We have, we're going to have the fire pit out front. Oh, that's good. why it's already like, mm, it's cold. I'm not going. And I'm like, <laughs> well, fair enough. Yeah. He doesn't like trick-or-treating. Oh, well. He's never liked really it. At least he'll have fun. Like sitting. He'll out go to like two houses and be like, meh, I'm done. Well, I'm like, he would rather hang out by the fire pit. Play with glow sticks and eat the candy out of the bowl. Makes it easier for you. I mean, work smarter, not harder. He doesn't have to do all that work for candy. (laughs) Right. He's like, it's right here, mom. Exactly. Okay. So with the weather, they decided to still go, but then they decided to limit the kids to just two streets. So they didn't get too far in case the weather got bad. And one of Jimmy's kids decided to stay home, but everyone else headed out. So there was Jimmy, Ronald, Jimmy's two kids, and then Timothy and Elizabeth. So they went to several houses and then skipped over others. And one of the houses they went to didn't have a light on, but they were insistent that they knock anyway. So when there was no answer, the group decided to move on. And Ronald was at the back of the group and he fell behind while they were walking with the group. And then a few minutes later, he came running up with five of those really giant pixie sticks. Do you remember those? Yeah. Those are my favorite. Those are amazing. I don't think they have those anymore. Uh, Yeah. I don't think I've seen any in recent times. I don't even know where you would get them. No, I know they have those like kiosks and stuff where you can like make your own, but it's not the same. Yeah. It's not the same. It's not. Powder sugar. (laughs) Anyway. He comes running with five of those giant pixie sticks and he's like waving them and was like, he said that whenever they started walking off, the door opened and that the quote unquote rich people were giving away the expensive candy. And then Ronald gave one pixie stick to each of the four kids, his two kids, and then Jimmy's two kids. And since the weather wasn't the best, they wrapped up trick-or-treating and headed home. And then on the way home, Ronald dropped his wife off at a friend's house And then uh, Ronald had agreed to put the kids down for bed. 
And so when he arrived home, Ronald saw their 10-year-old boy that he recognized there, a 10-year-old boy that he recognized from church and gave him the last pixie stick since he had an extra. Oh, how kind. I guess Jimmy's kid, extra kid, didn't get one. That's kind of rude. Sorry, bro. Well, I mean, you snooze, you lose. You're not going to go trick-or-treating. You don't get a pixie stick. That's true. But still. So after Timothy and Elizabeth were ready to head off to bed, uh, Timothy had asked if he could have a piece of candy before he went to sleep and Ronald obliged and offered him the pixie stick. So Timothy struggled to get the candy out of the straw because you know how sometimes it'll get like stuck and hard and you got to kind of like roll it between your fingers to loosen it up. So Ronald had to do that for Timothy so that he could get it out of the tube. And so Timothy grabbed the candy and after the first bite, question, is it a bite? Can you bite powder? I don't know. Taste? (laughs) What do you call that? I don't know. What would you call that? I would say. Sample. I don't know. After your first. His first swig of powder out of the tube. I don't know. (laughs) That kind of is what it is because you just kind of dump it in there. Yeah. I mean, not that one. Clearly it was like rocks. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, after he tried the candy, he complained that it was really bitter. And thinking nothing of it, Ronald gave him a drink of Kool-Aid to wash the bad taste out of his mouth. Oh, good old Kool-Aid. I wonder what flavor it was. My favorite was always the blue tropical punch. Yeah. I, I used to drink that stuff like crazy. What my favorite was. I don't know. Probably why I'm so fat though. There was a lot of sugar in that. Yeah, it was like two cups or something crazy of sugar. So much sugar. But I would imagine if the powder was like all stuck together and it tasted bad, maybe it was just old. Right. Because, I mean, you know how sometimes people just, like, save candy and then give it out later and then it's old or whatever? <laughs> yeah. Or, like, you go to R.I.P. Granny. You go to their house and they have, like, the strawberry candies that have been there and they're kind of soft instead of hard candies. Yeah. They've yeah. been there for quite a while. It always reminds me of when Big Mama had the gumdrop tree yeah. at Christmas. <laughs> yes, and they were And hard. they were so hard. and i hated gumdrops anyway they were so gross and then i remember like ricky and chris or a couple of whoever whichever one of my brothers they would sit there and eat them all at the end because they were like here just eat them we have to get rid of them christmas (laughs) is over i like the spearmint ones those were my only ones i liked my mom always would be like oh look sugar-free black jelly beans we have to get those for her and i was like what is wrong with her that's gross. Who likes black jelly beans? Who likes jelly beans? <laughs> Licorice. Ugh, it's disgusting. <laughs> it's like you have the taste in your mouth. I know. And it's like one of my friends was like, here, I made biscotti. I was in front of a coworker a long time ago. I took a bite and I spit it out. And I was like, what is this? It tastes like licorice. <laughs> she was like, well, yeah, that's what biscotti tastes like. And I was like, no. It's gross. Never again. Why would you want a cookie that tastes like black licorice? I don't know why you would want anything that tastes like black licorice. That's disgusting. And not only that, Big Mama wanted the sugar-free ones. <laughs> I'm sure those are even worse. Ugh. I will never know. Me either. So anyway, old, crusty pixie stick. Yes. So... As soon as he ate the pixie stick, he Timothy started complaining about a stomach ache and he went to the bathroom where he began vomiting and convulsing. Oh. Ronald ran over to help him and while he was holding him up, Timothy's body went limp and Ronald called for paramedics. And Timothy didn't even make it to the hospital before he passed away while en route. And from the time he consumed the candy to his official time of death, it was less than an hour. And this is why we checked the candy. Right, right. Obviously, an investigation began uh, in order to find out what the fuck just happened to this perfectly healthy eight-year-old boy, Uh, especially when the hospital found potassium cyanide in Timothy's stomach contents, which he had aspirated. Oh. Yeah. Police suspected the pixie stick that Timothy had consumed right before his death was the culprit, and I think I might agree. 
And then over the course of the next couple of days, Ronald was questioned about the events that had transpired that night and about where the pixie sticks had come from. So an autopsy would later confirm that Timothy's cause of death was cyanide poisoning. And investigators were able to recover the remaining four pixie sticks from the other children, all of which contained lethal doses of potassium cyanide in the top two inches of the packaging. And thankfully, none of the other children had eaten them. Well, that's good. At least only one kid died. (sighs) Only one kid dies. I mean, when only one kid dies at Halloween, I guess we call it a good night. (laughs) I also don't understand why people want to poison kids' candy. Like, what's the purpose of that? It's not like you're getting out of anything out of it. I mean, maybe they are, though. Secretly. They're, like, waiting for the news to come out that some kid died on Halloween from their candy. Maybe. Has that actually happened in recent years, though? I don't know. I don't... Fun fact. I'm going to have to look it up. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, anyway, maybe it's a good thing why it doesn't like trick-or-treating and will just eat candy from my bowl. Yeah, you know it's safe. It is. Is it, though? Mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, when they recovered the pixie sticks, they observed that the packaging was sealed on one end by a staple and the other end was heat-sealed. And then when the investigators spoke with a representative from the company that produced the pixie sticks, they informed them that they were never stapled on the end, that they would have probably, I guess, been heat sealed on both ends. Right. So it showed um, evidence that had been tampered with. Oh, how could you not notice that Um, there's a staple? Well, I feel like I remember once upon a time that they would staple the little paper yeah. Over the top, you know, like the label. Yeah, they did. But but, but there was it was still like heat sealed underneath that. So maybe they yeah, just Yeah, but what if he just that. cut the staple off? I mean, cut the heat seal off and it's still going to have the stapled yeah. packaging. I don't know, but if the paper's missing. Who knows? Because the kids didn't touch with it. I don't know. I remember there being a staple. No, I remember there being a staple too, but I remember underneath it was still like sealed shut. It was like they sealed it shut and then they stapled the label on. Well, it looks like they're glued now, but that's now. Or we're Hmm. in a time warp. Or what is it? A glitch in the matrix? Or the... Mandela effect? Yes, that was like it starts with an M. (laughs) But, you know, the Sinbad and the... What was it? Sinbad and Shaq? Mm Mm-hmm. Kazam and Shazam. I remember the Sinbad movie and I've even seen somewhere online where somebody posted a picture and like they still have the the cassette tape. Who was in that movie? Who? Sinbad. Sinbad? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I watched it at your house. Yeah. (laughs) He was definitely... I think you had it. I mean, I don't now, but I probably did. Yeah, it was on VHS. Yep. It was whenever you guys lived out there in the boonies. I think they're just trying to make us go crazy. Yeah, but then he even said, I was never in that movie. But I think he was just messing with all of us. He's part of the plan. Mm-hmm. Dang Hollywood. He's like, I'm getting old. You guys have to go crazy. <laughs> so when speaking with the investigators, Ronald stated that the candy had come from the subdivision where his friend Jimmy had lived. And he directed the police to a home on Donnerail Drive which is where they had been trick-or-treating that evening. He gave police a description of a man that had given the candy to him and told police which street he lived on. And Ronald couldn't remember exactly which house it was for sure, but police were able to locate the man that owned the house on the street where he had remembered getting the candy in question. Uh, That was very repetitive. I don't know what's going on with my sentence there. (laughs) Anyway, it happened to match the description of a man by the name of Courtney Melvin. And Ronald saw Courtney standing in like a crowd of people and told the police that he was, quote, almost positive that Courtney was the person who gave him the candy. While interviewing Courtney, um, he had told investigators that he had not been home on Halloween and that he was at work. And he worked as an air traffic controller and they were able to verify his alibi and were able to clear him since he had about 200 people willing to verify that he was at work. (laughs) He was definitely there. Um, So they were like, yeah, probably not this guy. 
but he was at work and did not return home until 10.45 that night. And his wife, however, had been home handing out candy with children, but they were finished by 6.45. And Courtney's wife also stated that she had never seen Ronald, Jimmy, or their children that night. And from there, investigators had cleared Courtney and his wife. So the search continues. And they were never able to locate the source of where the said pixie sticks had come from. Interesting. They just appeared. They just... I was going to say they just evaporated, but that is not the word <laughs> at all. Oh, no. <laughs> we wouldn't have this problem. What was the word I was looking for, though? I don't know. What's the opposite? I, evaporated. They evaporated <laughs> in plain sight. My brain then goes to disintegrate, which also isn't the right word. No. It's gone. They just appeared out of thin air. Yes. Ta-da. Anyway, the investigators soon realized that when they were talking with Ronald and asking him all these questions, uh, his stories were inconsistent. And during a walkthrough of the home, they found a pair of scissors with a knife and a knife with a purplish residue that resembled the pixie stick powder but lab testing was unable to determine um, if they were the exact same thing. The pixie stick and they the couldn't tell if it was sugar. residue. Well, I mean, they could, but they weren't able to make sure they came from the same oh, place. Well, yeah. So the investigators continued to look into other suspects and they learned that Ronald was also in quite a bit of debt. He had to sell the family home since they could no longer get by with the amount of debt they had in relation to like the money he made. Yeah, because he made like um, no money. But I mean, nine hundred and forty dollars in nineteen seventy. We're not looking at the cost of living in today's standards. Yeah. Then, like even in the nineties, you could live on one income. Yes, that's true. So, I think that was a great wage to raise. You know, a four-person family on. Yeah, but he had. Received about $6,000 from the sale of their house, like 6000 in profit, and used that to pay off the most pressing of their debts. And then doing the math, $6,000 in 1974 uh, with inflation is about 37500 today. Wow. So that was his profit off the sale of the house. And so once the house was sold, they moved into a townhome and they still had a significant amount of debt between being eight months behind on car payments and delinquent loans and money owed to the government, et cetera, they were still in debt to the tune of roughly $4,000, which is about twenty five grand by today's standards. And that was after they paid, you know, $3,700 off. So they learned that at his job at Texas State Optical, um, that it was the most stable job he had had in about a decade. And one source I read, he had over 21 jobs in the span of about 10-ish years. Wow. And he was let go from all of them for negligence and or fraud. Wow. He sounds like a really good um, guy. He's a winner. What did, the, what did that pastor tell him? A good Christian man and an above average father. But not a hard worker. Setting that standard high. <laughs> all right. So as suspicions about Ronald continued to grow, his colleague stated that while at work, he had asked the branch manager to order cyanide as a way to clean the gold frames of the glasses. And apparently that was like a super odd request since it's a like a process that hadn't been used in at least 20 years in that optical field, yeah. optician office, eye doctor. They don't use that anymore. So after about three weeks with no success, he asked again and he was referred to someone higher up the chain of command. And that was kind of the end of that. And then at work, he would chat with his coworkers about cyanide a lot. And the conversations went from the use of it in the optical business to how much cyanide it would take to be lethal and kill somebody. You know, this, the topics that we discussed around the water cooler. Of course. I do that all the time. Yeah. At work. Mm -hmm. Yes. In preschool, I'm like, hey, <laughs> cyanide is what it does. Let's not touch yeah, that. Yeah, and me in a court. <laughs> Imagine. You'd be like, hey, judge, did you know it takes this that much. this much potassium cyanide and I could just off you. You'd be, you'd right be gone. Now. But his coworkers said that he was obsessed 
and that's in quotes, about the topic of cyanide and the lethal dosages. Sounds like it. So before Halloween of 1974, Ronald was talking with his friend Jimmy and mentioned wanting to purchase a home. He even went so far as to discuss the pricing and the availability of homes in the area, but he did ask Jimmy not to mention anything about this conversation to his wife. Like, don't tell her I want to buy a house. Mm. He's working on that timeline for her, um, too. <laughs> <laughs> he went to his bank, the medical branch credit union, and told them that he would be coming into some money by the end of the year. And signed an agreement to extend the arrearages on the loan to January of the following year, so 1975. I'm assuming that that was for, like, a home loan that, like, he wanted to have it. And then, like, hey, I'll back pay. Or maybe an old loan that he was paying on. He made some arrangements to be like, hey, I'll pay all this back pay in January. Anyway. Then he went to a coworker and told them he had plans to quit his job at the optician's office on November 15th of 1974, so the same year, like three weeks away maybe, yeah. and just trying to keep everyone on the same timeline. It was October 1974. He was going to quit on November 15th, 1974, and that he would pay off the loan in January 1975. So it's just like the year's end. I just know my brain can't keep up with all that. <laughs> Somebody else can't either. <laughs> yeah. So – for someone who has so much debt, why would he be looking at a new house and quitting his job at the same time? Right. That makes no sense. I mean quitting his job and then getting a new house. Yeah, let's let's uh decrease decrease our income. Right, and then he increase our debt. Yes, I was like, wait, we're supposed we're not supposed to do it that way, Jennifer. And I was like, that's the point she's trying to make. No, we're supposed to do it the opposite way. <laughs> What is happening with my brain? It's tired. I know. But it's especially weird because you just sold the house you had to pay off the debt. Right. Some debt. Not even all of it. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. The math ain't mathin'. So now let's take it back a couple more months. Before he started making all of these plans for houses and quitting his job and all of a sudden planning on coming across a large sum of money that was going to hit the bank. He joined the new outlook club through his bank and it offered $10,000 policy on each family member in the household for just a couple of dollars a month. Mm. His wife didn't think it was a very good idea because their finances were horrendous already. And she thought having life insurance on the children was a waste, which I completely understand. But on the same note, like you just never know. The last thing you want to have to worry about if something horrendous were to happen to your child like that would have to be finances and how you're going to pay for, you know, end of life expenses or what have you. So Ronald went against the advice of his insurance adjuster and purchased an additional $20,000 in life insurance on each of the children. Wow. So $30,000 total Um, or just $20,000? Total totaling $30,000 in life insurance for each of his children. And once more with inflation, that's about $190,000 today for one child. So about Mm $400,000. And yet he had almost no coverage for himself. Of course, because he wasn't going to die. Super sketch. Mm -hmm. It was a pixie stick, Jennifer. (laughs) So when Ronald was, was unable to get his work to purchase the cyanide for the office, he decided to try and get a hold of the poison on his own. He called an old colleague by the name of Bobby Terry, and that reminds me of Ricky Bobby. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Every time I would read that or type it, I was like, Ricky Bobby, <laughs> thank the sweet baby Jesus. And he reached out to him in September of 1974. So Bobby was still employed at Arco Chemical Company. And I read somewhere that Ronald had been employed there, but I couldn't find the article again. And I guess, I mean, I assume he's been, he's worked there before and that's his connection. But Ronald told him that he was taking a chemistry class at San Jacinto College and thought that his professor wasn't knowledgeable about the numerous types of cyanide. 
And then they moved on about the accessibility and the variety of the poison, like the different types of it. And then the conversation drifted off in the direction of how much cyanide it would take to kill a human. And about the process used to detect unknown substances in the human body. Yeah. So he was saying like, so if someone were to die, hypothetically, how would they be able to find this in their body? Like, would they be able to know to look for it? Right. 100% hypothetical. Just curious. (laughs) Nothing's going to happen. Just need to know this for. We're not foreshadowing here. For funsies. (laughs) (laughs) For funsies. So when he asked where he could purchase the chemical, Terry referred him to several local chemical companies. And then Ronald contacted one of the companies by the name of Curtin Matheson Scientific Company, where he was told that he could purchase the chemical, but they only sold it in five pound containers. Oh, that's a lot. That's a lot of cyanide. So then Ronald told David Lee Jackson, the employee he spoke with, that five pounds was way too much. And then they discussed other places where he could purchase a smaller amount. And then Ronald left the facility. Another one of his colleagues mentioned that on Halloween, they had observed Ronald in the parking lot with a stapler and a bag of unknown contents. Mm -hmm. And that later in the day, he was working on a pair of glasses for a customer and he was making small talk with a customer about the lethal amounts of cyanide. Why is he talking to everybody about this? I think I would ask for my glasses and find a new option. Yes. Be like, this is not the place mm-hmm. for me. Thank you. Jennifer, you should reevaluate <laughs> your eye doctor. I like them. <laughs> I don't- well, you should be like, hey, have you heard about Ronald O'Brien? I should. From 1974? I will. Next time I go there. No, no you I won't. probably won't. I'll You'll probably- be shy and forget. <laughs> I'll probably forget. More than anything, because every time you walk in there now, you're going to be like, there's no cyanide on these glasses, are there? <laughs> Probably. You're not cleaning these frames with cyanide, are you? Some kind of like test strips to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> Litmus paper. You're going to pull out the little kit that like police pull yeah. out of their trunk whenever they put a little bit of drugs in there. And they're like, if it turns blue, <laughs> and flick it, yeah. it's blue. Shocker. Mm-hmm. Um, this has cyanide on it, my friends. Go wash this. so with all of the questionable behavior police arrest ronald for the death of his own son shocker i mean from the beginning of the story you're like who the fuck poisons kids candy like what do they get out of that (laughs) and i was like you're gonna find out i had a feeling but also didn't want to ruin anything (laughs) it was his dad he was trying to get money So during the trial, the prosecution brought in all of his colleagues and his friends and even his wife to testify about what they observed in the months before Timothy's death. And his wife stated she had no knowledge of what Ronald had planned to do, and she was never considered a suspect in the murder. But also, like, you talked to everybody and their mom about cyanide, and your son randomly dies from cyanide poisoning. Why was he not the first suspect? I mean, I don't think it took them very long. Because then it said on November 1st, which is even like the next day, they said something about like, you have to have an extra copy of the death certificate to send to insurance to get the life insurance Mm -hmm. money. And he ordered six copies. Oh, well, he had to have it covered. He needed to get that third. I got to make sure. Right. Well, 190,000, that's not an insignificant amount, but still. Anyway, the prosecution argued that Ronald had laced the pixie sticks with cyanide to intentionally poison his children in order to collect on their life insurance policies. They further argued that he gave the candy to the other children as a way to cover up his actions and lead the investigation away from him and onto someone handing out cyanide-laced candy to children. And then when Timothy was the only one to consume the candy, his plan kind of fell right. apart. Yeah. And he couldn't find one story to stick to. And he told everybody (laughs) about cyanide and how much he needed to kill an adult. And how it was detected. Well, he was trying to find out how to detect it. It was bound to get back to him. Anyway, obviously, in these days with forensic science. (laughs) In the 70s. Anyway, I mean, 1974, you would have had a better shot 
there wouldn't have been any DNA evidence anywhere. And I feel like that's the one thing that gets people these days from crimes back then is because DNA is advancing. Because they even had fingerprinting then. Not that I'm planning on doing Mm. anything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So Ronald was obviously convicted of the murder and he was sentenced to death by lethal injection. And thanks to the way our legal system operates, he gets all of the mandatory appeals. And I am noticing a pattern with these appeals. I feel like there's always several arguments that every single attorney will throw into their appeal to see if it will actually work this time. Okay. What are they? So like the jurors, like this juror should have been excused because of A, B, and C. And then the judge is like, uh, you had your chance. You didn't do it. Gone. So of course, during his appeal, they argue that a juror should have been excused. And they use the same argument that we've heard before. The jurors said they could never vote in favor of the death penalty. So they couldn't give an unbiased vote, I guess. Verdict. Yeah, the juror was not unbiased and should have been excused because he said he would, there was no way he could vote for the death penalty. And so just because that, he's not, he's biased and he should have been excused and even though he says he would never vote for it, which is in my favor, he did. But because he was biased <laughs> and it didn't go in my favor, he shouldn't have been able to not go in my favor. <laughs> Makes sense. And the judge said, oh, oh, you had your chance to get rid of him. Tell right. me something new. So then they roll with, well, we can't say for sure that he's going to be a threat to society in the future. So you're basically asking the jury to speculate. Right. And it's vague, so no, we can't have the death penalty. And the judge said, true, it's hard to determine what a future behavior will be, but we can see that from previous action, there's a decent chance that it might happen again. Maybe, like, let's not let that happen again. This is going to sound really horrendous, but he doesn't have another son to do this to. Right. So he does have a wife to do it to. And a child, a daughter. Anyway, that was awful. We have to laugh at morbidity. But like, for example, I've never killed anybody. So to think that I'll just go out and randomly kill somebody, people would probably say, "Mm, probably not. But if I have killed somebody, clearly I'm capable. So the chances of me doing it again, slightly higher. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, there's always the chance that it would happen. But statistically speaking, if I've done it before, I may do it again. True. Hmm. Anyway, they also argued that one of the witnesses was inconsistent because he would say things in, during his testimony and then on cross he couldn't remember like specific dates and times and clothing descriptions of Ronald. And they were speaking of the the employee that basically told him we only have a five pound supply. Mm-hmm. So he was like, well, he can't remember what he was wearing and he can't remember the specific date or the time or whatever. So he's not credible into that the judge said uh we talked about that in trial and we determined that he was credible so we'll move on it was a nice try though yeah a forever dude and then they said his wife's testimony should not have been admitted because spouses cannot be forced to incriminate each other like when you're married you cannot be forced to testify against like, your spouse it sounds like she wasn't forced. and the judge said true but they are not prohibited from testifying right. against each other. We just can't make them do it. They can they can do it on their own free will. And then the defense said with the guy that um, he was trying to buy the cyanide from, that he was selling it in large quantities, they said they asked him about Ronald, I guess, to give a description. And then they showed him a picture and was like, is this the guy? And he was like, yeah, that's him. And so they were like, no, they put that idea that it was Ronald in his head. They showed him the picture and said, is this the person that you saw come in here? And so the way the brain works, like he's going to say, yes, that was him, even though like eyewitness, maybe he didn't see him. And remember, he's not credible because he can't recall all of these things. Mm-hmm. So the judge was like, yeah, no, no way. Death sentence, yep. still there. So long story short, he was granted three stays of execution one of which was scheduled for October 31st of 1982. Oh. Eight, eight years to the day that he, he murdered just kept his son. It. Yeah, you killed him today. You exactly. will die today. And then 
in four years, Jennifer will be born today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. So then on March 31st, 1984, his death sentence was carried out. Um, and as he lay strapped to the gurney, he asked for, quote unquote, God's forgiveness for all of us. And we as human beings do make mistakes and errors. This execution is one of those wrongs. But it doesn't mean the whole system of justice is wrong. Therefore, I forgive all, I do mean all, those who have been involved in my death. Mm. And his final words were, if in any of my 39 years I have offended anybody, I hope they will forgive me as I forgive them. I also pray and ask God's forgiveness for all of us, respectively, as human beings. God bless you all, and may God's best blessings be always yours. All right. And then, God, 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 yeah. God, 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 when oh, you're dying. Always. When you're dying or in jail, it's always God. We can, again, we can do that before we go to jail. <laughs> yeah. Or kill people. It usually helps or if die. you do. Yeah. You probably wouldn't yeah. be in this mess. I'm not saying that, like, God is the way or not the way, but if that's the way you want it to be, you can do it before yeah, you Yeah, but kill he somebody. was a good Christian man, you know, so. He was, and an above-average father. Yeah. I guess that, that's the standard. Make sure you <laughs> kill one of your kids. So I said, mental, mental note, tuck it in your pocket. So at 1248 a.m., he was officially pronounced dead. Only 10 minutes after he was given the deadly cocktail and something I found super interesting was that in one article, they said that this new quote unquote, new lethal injection medications were more humane, were a more humane way of executing people um, than the electric chair or cyanide gas. Super poor choice of information when you consider what he did. The cyanide. Maybe not put that in the article when this man murdered his son yeah, with cyanide. Because we want to give him a more humane way of going out. Because we didn't do that for his son. Right. So, outside of the prison, there were over 300 supporters of the death penalty. And as the witnesses left the prison after he was pronounced dead, they cheered. And, apparently, they all yelled, trick or treat. (laughs) What? How awful is that? (laughs) So bad. I would say it's like poetic justice, but also that's really yeah. fucking morbid. You're dead, yeah. trick or treat. Oh. So now trick or treat is going to have yeah. a new meaning. It really is. You're going to think about this guy dying every time oh, you say trick or treat. For a little bit. Or happy birthday for that fact, Jennifer. <laughs> oh, that's even worse. <laughs> so he was the third person to be executed by lethal injection in Texas. And the second person... In the month of March of 1984. Oh, they just taking him out in March. So we're on it. Knocking him out. No <laughs> pun intended. So his last meal was a well-done steak, like a true psychopath. Hey, now. And a Boston cream pie. Who eats a well-done do. steak? It's like rubber. It's so good, though. It it's really not. Is. I don't need it like walking off my plate rare, but I don't need it well done. I don't want it to be bloody. It's hey, not no, blood. It still makes me think of blood, and I don't want it. It looks like it, but it's not it. I forget what that's called, but it's not blood. So, and this is the part I told you I had to like derail from. Ronald agreed to donate his eyes to the Lion Club Eye Bank for research in cataract transplant. I've heard of that. It's weird, but I've heard of it. <laughs> Does someone really have his eyes in their Probably. head? Please tell me they didn't follow through <laughs> with that. If they were like, hey, your eyes came from someone who murdered their son's Halloween candy. Like, take them out. Take it out. I don't right, want Especially it. if you find out after the fact. Like, I'll take them out myself. Right. And that's when I was like, hold on. It's going to take me a few minutes. <laughs> I got a rabbit hole. So when interviewed, his former wife, Timothy's mother, said he made his bed and now he is having to lie in it. I have no Good. pity for him. Good for her. Good for you and so this story is the main reason that people started the whole poison halloween candy and to like check for razor blades and check your kids candy mostly it's considered an urban legend except for this guy actually did it but then why would you have to check your kids candy Mm -hmm. because that came from the same house not Mm -hmm. a stranger 
So like I said, is there really an instance of someone lacing kids' candy? But it happens. I'm sure it does, especially today, but still, this was like the whole beginning of that urban yeah, legend, I guess. That's what gave people the idea. And his nickname is the Candyman. Mm, how mm. cute. Go figure. And that, my friends, is the story of Ronald Clark O'Brien and his son was only eight That's years sad. old. It was super sound. He didn't even have a chance. He didn't because his dad is a shithead. But at least he's dead too. Who can't hold a job <laughs> and manage his money. But, you know, he's a good Christian man and he's an above average dad. Yes. And that's all that matters. Above average. I don't I don't know what they consider an average dad. Um though. apparently if you kill your kid. Well that's above average. I mean they're they're not setting the bar real high. No, it's basically on the floor. Pretty much. I would say. Yep. But that is it. I told you it was a short one, but I felt like it was necessary. Given that it's your birthday story. <laughs> Yay, me. The story of your birth. <laughs> the story of my birth. That that would be really bad. <laughs> Sorry, Lori. Because <laughs> it, it ruins your birthday for True. her, too. But that's okay. Mm. It wasn't actually my birthday yet. It's okay. We still had some years. It's true. It's true. But now... The memory of your birth is tainted with cyanide candy. Yeah. New traditions. New traditions. If you ever get the powdered candy and it's old and clumpy, don't eat it. Whenever they used to be clumpy, I always just, just thought, like, you got some spit in there. Gross. Even if well, it was, no, like, brand new no, and you're just it opening like it. I was eating it or something. Because, you know, like, you pour it in your mouth and, like, if your mm. tongue hits, like, the part that's going back in. But it was just like the the rim of yeah. it would be sticky yeah, not with like a crusty candy and spit. Uh, yeah, not like a whole chunk. That would be gross. <laughs> gross. <laughs> <Make me> gag. <laughs> chunky pixie sticks. That should be a shirt. We've all eaten chunky pixie sticks. That'd be funny. <laughs> Follow us on TikTok at Unstable Moms. Same handle for Instagram. Gmail, you can email us at unstablemomspod at gmail.com. Let's see what else. Send us some stories. We want to try and do some story times for the days that or the weeks that I can't get a story together because I'm a slacker. That's it. Oh, we are also now on iHeartRadio, right? Yes. iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts. So Google Podcasts or Google Play? Google Play is apps for right. I think so. Spoken from a true <laughs> iPhone user. We are on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Yeah. So listen wherever you like. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Like, follow, subscribe. At least like leave a review. Maybe just say like, I haven't listened. I'm just doing what <laughs> I'm told to do. Anyway. Thanks for listening. Bye. See you next time. Bye.